0: Quite a lengthy passage uh, dealing with the issue in the church over the matter of tongues and prophecy. And the bigger issue, order in the house. Uh, How should gifts be used in the church? Perhaps you think of it as um, a orchestra conductor, that you've got all kinds of instruments but not all of them play the lead part. Uh, it's great to have timpani, but you can never have a melody with just the drum or percussion section. Uh, usually it's the keyboard, the violin, those kind of instruments that get the lead parts. The others are necessary, but if uh, the percussion se- wanted to dominate the orchestra, how would you ever do Handel's Messiah just with drums? How could you ever do it with just tubas or oboes? Be a little tough, even with a bass. And so in the church, Christ is the great conductor. He's the head of the church. And through his servant Paul, he's addressing a church that uh, evidently had the gifts of in operation. Paul the apostle had all the gifts, any gift, healing, tongues, it didn't matter. And so we want to find out uh, what is there for us before you decide. Many people, I think many conservatives say, well, I'm not a tongue talker anyway, so there's nothing here for me. Uh, And I'd have to say, if I was the pastor of first assembly in town, I'd probably preach the same thing I'm going to preach today. It wouldn't make any difference, the context. And just know we're not here to bash any groups. We just want to let the text speak for itself. And so uh, we want to uh, see three things. What must be emphasized when the church meets? What must be the emphasis of a corporate meeting of the church. Now, uh, I'll be meeting today at my daughter's for Mother's Daughter bash, and believe me, the principles that guide us for now will not guide us then. Okay? It gets going, if you're going to get a little rowdy. Grandchildren are going to be running, and order will not be the issue of the day. It will be survival. So, when I mean the church, I'm under a different set of guidelines, okay? And so then, second thing we want to know why the gift of prophecy was preferred for the church. And three, why the gift of tongues was not preferred for corporate church meetings. I think that's straightforward what he's talking about. Very simply and straightforward, and I hope you have the notes in front of you, that when the church meets together, Love has to be the governing purpose. Notice what he says, pursue love. Why would he say that? He had just described love in chapter 13. That love has to govern gifts, not gifts govern the church. Whatever is the loving thing to do, let love be the guiding central motive of meeting with the saints. Two, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, this is commonly misunderstood. He's not telling you to seek a better spiritual gift. He's using this to the church whole. He's already said every one of you got your gift by a divine act of God. He determined it, chapter 12, verse 7, verse 11, verse 18. Your gift in the body was sovereignly determined by God. You don't get a spiritual gift by seeking for it. He gave the gifts as it pleased him. But he's talking to the whole, the church whole. When you come together, put the priority on emphasizing the best gifts that can benefit the most people. That's what he's saying. So you corporately desire the best gifts to be put on display when you come together. But that has often been misinterpreted that you are out to seek a better gift. Uh, so if you got the gift of helps and you want to be a prophet, begin to seek. No, it won't work that way. No, no. Uh, it's just seek what's best for the church. And then he goes on to say that, uh, uh, of course, among them, if any gift you ought to desire when you come together as a church here, he said, is that you might prophesy that you may have that. And we'll look at that. Uh what's the purpose of our meetings? Look at verse five. Uh he's comparing tongues with prophecy, and he's saying that prophecy superior because we meet that the church may be built up. You see that, verse five? And it's our word edify. Uh look at verse 12. Uh You're eager for the manifestation of the Spirit. Strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 17, notice. For you you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. When we do things in the corporate meeting, this does not come together so you can just have a uh, individual little space where you take over, that it's all about you. Meeting together is about edifying the whole. Doing those things that can edify. And so, uh, what gifts make that possible? In this context, he said the gift of prophecy was the most unifying, edifying gift. If they came together together, And they have that kind of ministry. So he's saying, when you meet together, be sure that the body's edified. So uh, it's interesting in different church cultures uh, what edifies. Did you know they say the main reason people pick churches today is the kind of music? That's the truth. They pick it based on music. And that's where you have generational divides in churches. And we have the weird combination of trying to grow old together while singing music that the young generation won't yawn on. And it's the tension we live with all the time. Some of you would be just fine if all we did is, How Great Thou Art. How many songs, how, how great, great, you're not going to beat it. Wonderful song. But then if we come over here and do a Chris Tomlin song, or Tommy Walker song, oh, that's not my kind of music. Well, how do you expect people that were born after the flood to like music, <laughs> to like, have the same musical taste you had in 1930? Most of our hymns were written in the 1930s, 40s, or 1800s in Germany. And now we're over here in another generation, and that's where the big music battles. It's a no-win situation. And we're weird enough to try to have both, and uh, and we don't ever quite win. We always have somebody rubbed, because we don't sing. But you know what makes many of you endure? Somebody will preach the word. I want to hear the word. I'm not coming here because it's my favorite music. Uh, they don't sing How Firm a Foundation every Sunday, which I love. They're a little too hip hop for me, and what a joke. Once you listen to the top ten chart, we're we're in the ancient days. We're so far behind, but it's those kind of tensions. So what do we do? One thing we try to see—it's like, uh, do we have any Bible for reading announcements? Announcements is a big thing in our church. We print it. We pay a gal about eight hours worth of work to run it off, and some of you still don't know what's happening because you don't read the bulletin. We flash it up, because I know this. We have staff meetings, and, and I'm one of the staff. staffs. So I didn't know we were supposed to do that. I can't keep up. There's so much going on. And sometimes I'm the one that says, I wish we'd get rid of announcements. What's that got to do with worship? People want to know. Okay, here we go. But when we meet, we've got to do those things that edify, and what's tricky is to see people from many cultures, many church backgrounds. Some of you grew up with more uh, liturgy. Some of you grew up uh, genuflecting before you sat in the pew. You want to kneel. And we just come in. We're talking before the service. Others grew up in traditions where it's absolute quiet. As soon as you walk through that back door, you freeze and you start looking straight ahead. <laughs> so which one's right? There's no Bible that addresses, I grew up with a rowdier, expressive, I grew up with Pentecostals. They're not inhibited. I'm sorry. And I'm not sorry I grew up that way. I love it. That's why this church is a hybrid church. There's many different streams that go in it. And some of them you may like and some you won't. It will not matter as long as the prophetic element is done. And we'll get into that. Um, now, why the gift of prophecy was to be preferred. Now, are you ready? This is a didactic message. Is that okay? I'm, I'm not trying to get you to give, but I hope you do, or the prophecy will end. Uh, let's, uh, it is amazing what men say the gift of prophecy is. There is no uniform answer. Uh, if you ask John MacArthur what it is, he'd say, I'm prophesying now, because he says it's just to speak the word. So many men make prophecy today preaching because you're preaching revelation, Scripture. The only difference I would make is I'm not getting a direct pipeline right from heaven. I'm preaching revelation. So if you read Uh, MacArthur, read his Bible footnotes, Uh, he takes it to be not forth telling, but just proclaiming what God has said. I do believe preaching does the same thing today as prophecy. It has the same benefit. But uh, when the church was built, it was built on the apostles and prophets, foundational. Those foundational prophets received direct revelation from God Many of them wrote it down, but until the New Testament was completed, God gave us a word, a word, through those with the gift of prophecy, uh, apostles for sure. They wrote the New Testament for us. And so what they received, they wrote down. So today we would ask, is the foundation of the church still being laid 2,000 years later? No. Apostles and prophets laid the foundation, Ephesians 2. Uh, They were communicating divine revelation. Our issue in saying prophets and prophecy ended for now, because in the millennium, Joel said in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So even in the millennium, God's going to have prophecy going on. Philip had four daughters that prophesied. I've got three daughters that would like to. Uh, because they're outgoing. They, they want to express it. Uh, you folks that never show an express and drive them crazy. And I said, well, if we're in Pentecost, we'd get you ordained. But just endure in the meantime. Uh, what is prophecy? I I understood for years that all prophecy was a direct word from God, and that you spoke it out. And the debate with Wayne Grudem, and these are guys all over the board, they think Grudem would say prophecy going is when you just give a word to somebody, a quicken word. Whatever, here's the issue. There is no one today that is getting a direct revelation from God that's equal to Scripture. That Scripture is the authority for what we believe and what we practice. Now, if you'll tell me what the Word says and do what Paul told Timothy, preach the Word, I don't need a direct revelation to have divine authority if I tell you what the Word said. But I'm not coming in here saying I'm a prophet, that I got to, but I'm going to preach what the prophets wrote. I want to tell you what was revealed. This book is a revelation from God. So I don't need to claim to be a prophet. I'm just a proclaimer of what was written. And that's enough authority. And so I don't think there's anybody ordained today to go around and be a prophet. Preachers, teachers, exhorters. But that was a technical term that God was giving us bits of Revelation. And in the early church, when they didn't have the New Testament, people could prophesy in a meeting. And while the others judged whether it was a true word from God, under the law, you could stone them if they missed it. In the New Testament, you don't stone them, you just judge whether it was in agreement with the Word of God. So today, I don't see Prophecy, but I would see that preachers do the same thing as the prophets were doing. They're proclaiming the word of God. So, uh, if you think you're a prophet, we'll pray for you, and uh, uh, I hope you don't get a following going. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't see it. And I used to think I was a prophet, and I prayed to be one, and I was sincere, uh, but I've come to see no. He's called me really to be a preacher. I'm not a prophet. Uh, Look at the advantages of prophecy. Uh, One, verse two, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. Now, now look at this. Uh, Without, let's if I just change this, and I'm not making them the same. But look at the same effect. If I change the word prophecy to preacher, the one who preaches speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Would that be true? But I don't get a direct word. I've got it through the book. And guess what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to go home on Sunday and look at the Word of God and say, Did he get that from the Bible, or did he make it up? Help yourself. Help yourself. You can disagree with me anytime you want, but you better be loaded, because I'm ready for the debate. Because this settles the argument, doesn't it? Isn't that wonderful? You're protected by having a book that you're eating, looking upon, and this is the fallacy of following a man and not the Word of God follow the Word of God, and hold preachers, tell me what the Word says. I don't want dreams and visions and, you know, indigestion. I want a Word from God. And there it is. You can't get any more. I think that's enough revelation. Have you been reading it? Why should God give you more until you learn what he's already said? What more to you, Need he say, then to you he has already said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his most excellent word. We've got a word from God. And that's what led me to where I am today. Uh, I have a word from God and I don't have to pray to get it. I've got it. I never asked God to anoint his word, it's already anointed. I'm the problem. Help me to understand your word. So he goes along and he tells them that tongues uh, didn't edify the whole church, but prophesying did. And so he's going to argue for. If anything in the meeting, have those who speak the language of the people who speak a word of God to them that edifies them, encourages them, that builds them up. That's his argument. Do that in the church which meets those goals. Then he begins to deal with the gift of tongues and why it's not to be preferred in the corporate meeting. Now, uh, what is the gift of tongues? Another debated issue. Uh, In Acts 2, what was tongues? They were languages. They heard people speak in their language, and he used two words. He used the word glossolalia, that's come, and then he used the Greek word dialect. Two words referring to no language. They heard them speak, men from Cappadocia, men from Bithynia. And you read the action narrative. They heard a dialect. It was recognized. Many people were in Jerusalem. It was clearly the speaker was speaking languages that they did not know. They weren't even aware of. But the hearers said, I hear my language. I hear my tongue. So that was clear. You have tongues in Acts 8, Acts 10 and 11, Acts 19. When we came to 1 Corinthians 12 or and 14, King James translators They put the word unknown tongue. And the word unknown wasn't there, but they knew it was not just ordinary language. There was a factor that made it unknown, uh, even the tongues of men and angels. So it got this kind of a mysterious concept. We understand it was the ability to speak in languages, uh, the word of God to people. Somebody had to be there that understood it, or you had to have somebody there that could translate it. Just as long, it did no one any good if you just spoke out, and there wasn't anyone there that knew that language or anyone that had the gift to translate it. So it was just profitless if that's all it did. Now what happened is Pentecostals in in the 1900s when the modern-day Pentecostal movement began, They built a theology around tongues that went like this. Uh, Tongues, everyone needs to talk in tongues. Scripture never said that, but that became the emphasis. Two, tongues is a sign you receive the baptism of the Spirit, they would say, Acts 2.4. Or it's a sign of a deeper spirituality. Well, the Corinthians spoke in tongues, but they were still immoral, many of them. They were suing, they had a lot of sin going on in a very vocal, gifted church. And they built a theology around it that the New Testament never did. So instead of just being a gift over here that he gives to some as he chooses, it became the uniform thing that says, it doesn't matter whether you're Catholic, Presbyterian, Baptist, Episcopal. They started the charismatic movement that says the only thing we've got in common is you are all so-called tongue-talkers. And so they built a whole theology. Some of them would say you don't have the Spirit unless you talk in tongues. Well, every believer has the Holy Spirit, do they not? Romans 8, 9. Even Billy Graham, bless his heart, never talked in tongues. And I've talked to guys, do you think he has the Spirit? Well, yeah, but reluctantly. God, God does something for him in spite of himself because they insisted. So it's a whole theology built around a minor gift that began to mark a whole movement. And have you talked in tongues yet? Have you received the spirit yet? Uh, Have you received the power yet? And what is the way I measure that? Have you talked in tongues? And the only gift that was pushed to that height. And so a whole theology grew up around it, but now, Let's see some things he says about tongues, even in a tongue-talking church. Uh, look what he says in verse 2. Uh, the one who speaks in tongues speaks to men or God? Okay. So he comes around, or whoever she is, and they've got their whole own thing going on in the service. They've got this direct line, and nobody around them is edified. They can't be built up because they don't know what's being said. Now, what we can say is, you're not spiritual. If you were spiritual, you'd be edified by all this gibberish I'm doing. It's gibberish to you. You don't know what's being said. And he said, wait, 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 wait. He's just conceding. You may be having a a ball. You may be on a direct line with God, but when you come together, you've got to do those things that edify the others. Okay? Um, Two... Tongues were worthless to the hearer unless they were interpreted. Verse 6 says that, and verse 28. It was a dependent gift. If someone was not there that could interpret it, do not do it. It would cause confusion. You have to have it. Inter- and did you know what? I happen to, anybody here know anything about Pentecostals? Any of you grow up? I know Jim and Laura. We grew up with, come on. Uh, what I know of many Pentecostals today, they allow no tongue-talking in the morning service. You may do it in the prayer meeting. You might come to the evening service. They brought about an order because they know it's a distracting thing to visitors because people will say this church has gone mad. Uh, they, they've cleaned up a lot of that. It's not kind of like the meetings I grew up in that the place could go up and smoke, and we said, didn't God move? Well, uh, it, was, it was exciting, I'll say that much. You couldn't sleep. Some of you could sleep, see. Uh, it makes our kind of church boring a lot of times because you never knew what was going to happen if we were in a live Pentecostal church, see. Uh, and she says, hey, just to come there to have tongues by yourself, he goes on in verse six and explains, verses six through 12, that uh, he uses the trumpet and making inarticulate sounds. Uh, If you utter speech in verse 9, so with yourselves, if if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? And you know what's interesting about that? You don't even know what you said. You can't give the amen to it. You can't say, thank you, Lord, for hearing me. For what? What did you say? I don't know, but it sure felt good. I mean, you, you couldn't give me amen because you don't know. Uh, For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, I'm just telling you, do only those things that build up the body of Christ. Now, you know what's interesting? Most of you have done nothing in this meeting so far to build up fellow members. Because conservative church is designed for one gift in the pulpit. I hope you like the music for you to be edified today. If you were probably in a New Testament church, uh, you'd be eating a meal together. They always took communion together, and you'd be talking. We would be a house church. We'd probably be no more than 50 people. You would know everybody, but what we call now the bigger churches, churches over the average Protestant church in America is 90 people. So we're a little bit above average. And guess what? You come. And you listen, and you act like a nice person, and you look forward, and the goal is try to act interested. (laughs) So it's okay. You don't distract, but there's no place for you to edify because this in the corporate meeting isn't where you get to use your giftedness. Very few of us get to do that. And uh, uh, it's why I like smaller meetings Especially when I don't have to talk. Because I love to hear what God does through the other parts of the body. And the corporate meeting, I would say, is celebration and edification. And I experience your giftedness more on a one-to-one basis. You haven't ministered just because you came here this morning. We're trying to equip you to minister. We're trying to instruct you to minister. But... uh Don't think this is your whole body life, just being in a Sunday morning service. Um, Paul goes on to say, tongue talking may edify the speaker, but not anyone else. Um, I want to show you the verse. Oh, down in verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, that verse has become a very popular verse to say tongues is a prayer language. And men like Gordon Fee and Greek scholars say, see there, my spirit prays, I don't have to, my mind, I'm disconnected. And he said, my spirit is, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. And that is. I'm praying, but I don't know what I'm saying, and often Pentecostals tie that to Romans 8.26. The Spirit is groaning with me, in me, with words unutterable. Uh, So then, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, Uh, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. You see, he's not an anti-tongues man here. I got all the gifts. I know it. I've experienced it. I'm not just, I'm against it. No, I just use it the way God intended. And then he goes on and says, Nevertheless, in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, we have to ask ourselves, of all of us who think we have the gift of tongues, was tongues given to be our prayer language? Let's think that through. Why not? It's got to edify somebody, right? All gifts were designed to edify the body. Are you with me? Okay. But says, I, I don't care. I, I'm having church, and, you know, it's like some people. It, you've got to find how much emotion you can show in a service. You know. Some churches, you could jump a pew and it fits right in. Around here, if you sing too loud, we'll be suspect, maybe. You know, Your freedom, because every church has a church culture. See, we're a, lot, we're a lot looser than most. We're not loose enough for you to go to a full-blown Pentecostal but we'll keep you nervous if you're conservative. <laughs> and you just say, oh, oh, they may do it any moment. Uh, and then, and then your Pentecostal folks said, when are they going to get with it? When are they going to get with it? You've got that all the time. Because we've got, uh, I, I think the conservatives outweigh the, the other group, but I like them. They kind of fan me. They're so much more fun to preach to. They actually move in the pew. And, and you know, their that, that face, you could tell. Boy, good, it's great, it's exciting. It truly is. You don't know what it is to stand up here and preach and look at all your faces. You, you don't have to look at it. You're looking at the back of heads You're not seeing faces. Huh? See, I, I've got the vocation. You ought to be a pastor. No other vocation must you come to like the people that may come to your church. I don't get to pick anybody. You know, if a doctor fixes you, he doesn't have to like you. Uh, if a dentist works on your teeth, he doesn't have to. Just pay your bill. Pastoring says... You must learn to like people that you would never be found dead with if you weren't in the church. (laughs) And so, you know what I wind up doing? I first have to love you. I might like you, but in the meantime, I must love you. And so, I'm throwing together the people. I was with a bunch of Chinese believers from China yesterday in Berkeley, it was a delight. People finishing their doctorates at Cal Berkeley with David and Louisa Lin. And I'm meeting all these precious Chinese people that some are going back to the country, some are here for just a year. Uh, They're brilliant people, uh, uh, exchange students and all like that. But let's say I became their pastor. All of a sudden, I would have to pour my life into people that don't look like me, don't have the same ethnicity, we don't eat the same food and everything, but God would say, love those people. Don't just give them a bill for services rendered. And like a church life, I've got to learn to live with the kind of church, so I could take a lot more than some of the things we do, because it doesn't bother me. A sleepy church is what wears me out. A boring church, dead church, quiet church. What, What in the world does God want with a quiet church? don't tell me you're meditating. You're sleeping. (laughs) I know the difference. (laughs) Oh, they're they're in a seance. No, they're in the third level of sleep. No, no. So that's why I've never left Valley because nobody else wants me. Because I know where I belong. See, right here. I can act this way and get away with it. Uh, Then it comes down and he says something really interesting. Well, if tongues are not to be used in the church and, and, and dominate the meeting, what in the world did God give it to us for? Look at verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, this is Isaiah 28, By people of strange tongues, languages, and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. Who is the this people? Israel. Isaiah didn't write any messages to Gentiles. He's writing to Israel. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. He's using a prophecy that Isaiah gave back before The invasion of Assyria into Israel and eventually Babylon invading Judah. And God says, you're not heeding my warnings, Israel. You're not repenting of your sin. You're not turning back to me. So I'm going to send people to you and you'll know judgment is coming because you're going to hear languages you never dreamed you'd hear in your streets, and it will be, he didn't tell me, it will be the Assyrian. It will be the Chaldean from Babylon. And you'll know that divine judgment is visiting you because I'm gonna preach to you. You didn't hear me in Hebrew when I sent Isaiah and Jeremiah. You didn't hear, you didn't hear. I'm gonna send messengers who speak languages you don't know and you will know divine judgment is coming. Now listen to how he applies it. Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers. Are you there? Yeah. But for unbelievers. Verse twenty-two. Wait, you mean tongues are not for believers? In other words, for their edification, for their building up? No, tongues was aimed at unbelievers. I'm inclined to say primarily unbelieving Israel. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. So guess what? When 70 A.D. took place, the destruction of Jerusalem, tongues begins to fade from church history. And by the time we read any epistle written after 70 A.D., book of Revelation, we know for sure Tongues are not even mentioned. They begin to be withdrawn because they had a distinct purpose of warning of judgment, primarily to the house of Israel. I'm sending you a message like I did in the days of Assyria and Babylon, and I will talk to you in strange tongues and languages you never heard before to warn you, turn to me or face judgment. And they did not turn, and they faced severe judgment in 70 A.D. And by the time we come to 100 A.D. in church history, there's no mention of tongues. Nor prophecy, really. Why the, why, where did it go to? It accomplished its purpose. Then he goes on to say, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? I've experienced this. I used to bring my boyfriends to church with me for Sunday school contests. You can win 20 bucks. But I just hoped we wouldn't have one of those kind of runaway meetings, and we did. One of my friends jumped out of a window. He was so scared. He didn't know anything about how you get so emotional and worked up in a meeting. And so he, he was scared. He, he didn't understand anything that the saints said, this is heaven came down. This is glory. This is, but he said, be aware that in case an unbeliever is in your midst. This tells you they assumed unbelievers would be in the church meetings. Even then, they assume. And see what we can do, I would like to both preach evangelistically. You know, if you want to make me an evangelistic preacher, that would help me. You ought to bring your unsaved friends. I would love to. I love to preach the cross, do I not? I love to preach the gospel. But our people are lazy about bringing unsaved friends. They, because after you're saved after a while, all you know is Christians. That's, then you become boring. You need some unsaved people in your life, besides family. Friends, neighbors, uh, what, has God told us not to have contact with the unsaved? And not when we see them, not to pounce on them, but just to love them for Christ's sake. And we ought to bring them to church. And guess what? Church, he never does say church is designed for seekers. No, it's designed for believers. But if things are done in order, and if the right gifts are on display, notice what happens if unbelievers come. Okay, you there. Now, now look down in your Bible. Go, go down. Okay. Watch this. Verse 24. But if, all, but if all prophesy, and let's just take it for right now, they speak forth the word of God. We're not talking about direct, but we're taking it from the book. But they speak the word of God, and an unbeliever or outsider enters. He is convicted. By all, but what does that word? I I just happen to put the definition somewhere. It means to present evidence and to drive you to a right conclusion. This word "convict" was to render a. It was used in the court to to win a case to convict you. Now listen to what he says. It will convict you, and he is called to account by all. That word there means he will be called to judgment. And let me tell you the Greek word. It meant to cross-examine someone in court. It meant to put through a course of questioning as one is examined in a court. But if all, let's just, for our sake, if all some way preach, proclaim, share the Word of God, and an unbeliever or outsider comes in, you should entertain him because you don't want to make him feel nervous. Well, well, Pastor... That was a little direct. I think that could have offended my friend. Well, what you're really saying is it offended you. Don't blame your friend. Is there anything in our services that would convict an unbeliever? That would make them sense, I'm being weighed and evaluated by the living God as I hear his word from some uh, mere man I feel I'm in the court with the living God, and I'm weighed and found wanting. I feel my heart is cross-examined. He says things that exposes my inner feelings and thinking. The Word of God is quick and powerful, dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and is a critic. Of the thoughts and intents of the heart, you ought to be laid bare in a biblical, Bible believing, teaching church if you're an unbeliever. You should never get used to hanging out here until you come to Christ. Because when you die and you die without Christ, you won't get credit for going to church. It's only when you come to Christ. So I'll, I'll see people sometimes say, man. Ooh, that was a little convicting today. Well, hallelujah. I think a thief ought to know it's wrong to steal. And a sinner ought to know it's wrong to reject Jesus Christ. There ought to be conviction. See, if I have faults and I have plenty, don't talk to my wife. I got to do everything I can for me not to offend you. I don't want to offend you. But I have to take it with my vocation. That's why many people won't come here. Some are attracted, some not. I cannot please everybody. Neither can you. But none of you get paid to please anyone. You're an American, independent. If you don't like it, take this job and love it. (laughs) But I say, well, man, he he comes on too strong. People always say that. I used to get that uh, when Rich was here, for sure. Go see Rich. He's much gentler. And I loved it. Where is Rich? I would just refer all day. Go see Gentle. Because <laughs> I don't have time to waste. And he was Gentle. He was a wonderful counselor. says, well, well what, did, what would they say to me? He said, boy, Phil, you know, you're, you're kind of direct. Okay. You kind of go for the juggler. Okay. Man, nothing sounds real biblical. Juggler, the neck. uh <laughs> Man, I sound like a torture expert. What is it? If I seek to be a Bible preacher and not be afraid of you, I could tell you what God says because I'm not afraid of you. I fear God. He's going to judge me, He knows more about me than you do. He really does. He knows. He knows why I started this church. I want to preach the Bible and not apologize for God. What God says, let it be true, and never man a liar. And guess what? It's changed life after life after life, and people get saved, they get well, their marriages are saved, and nobody comes up and says, you're a great counselor. They just hear God. And to, I had a woman going through a trial recently and having lots of stuff. I said, well, why didn't you come in and see me? She said, I want to, but every Sunday I come, you tell me what I need to do. She said, why do I need to have an appointment in your office? I said, good. You save me time and yourself. Just do it. Just do it. Isn't that simple? Some folks are just looking for a fancy title for their problem. Uh, I, see, and I just come, I would say, you're a liar. Well, I've been told that I mistake the truth for error. <laughs> well, you're a liar. Whoa! now if you'll pay more money, some can give you a better term for your condition, but you still are a liar. Ah, wow, that's brutal. I need truth. I don't need the doctor to rename my disease. Is it life-threatening? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And he said, church meetings were designed for conviction, to be called to account. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Oh, would it be that our services were like that? That the unsaved, I must say from my roots, not in most conservative settings, but from my roots and even my wife, we will talk. I'll hear this. We don't say it much because we don't live in the past, but we've never forgot it. She'll say, oh, now this is old-time language. You, You young folks don't even know what I'm saying. Don't you miss Holy Ghost conviction in our meetings? I said, what are you saying? She said, I mean, when the Holy Spirit is there and you're arrested and you can't leave until you get right. It's why we had altars. We've got donuts so you can run out. We went to the altar. We prayed until we got it right. We asked our wives to forgive us, we asked our parents to forgive us. We were arrested by the Word of God. We weren't entertained. We weren't patronized. We weren't all of this. The Word of God. And it wouldn't have matter if this guy had got it directly from heaven or he got it from heaven through a written word, an authoritative word. But I was arrested in the meeting. That's why I never wanted to go to church as a boy. All my family were there. It was not that I didn't love those people. Much of them were family. But I, I was arrested. I was convicted. And I didn't want to yield. And I see so many meetings. And I'm in them in different settings. I say, is there anything such as conviction? And rendering the secrets of my heart exposed, so that I got to change an attitude, change a direction, uh, be reconciled to someone. God, change me. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. It's not my mother or my brother or my sister, Lord. It's me, standing in the need of prayer. That's what he said. I want to happen at the meeting. Now I summarize. This is what we ought to just think about for us. Here in the the back, what preaching ought to do is strengthen, encourage, comfort, convict, give knowledge, give a word of instruction, and here at the end, uh, expose the secrets of your heart. What should we learn? Edification is the purpose of the church, not just for you, to be vertical. I hope you do that in the song service or in prayer. Somewhere you make a divine connection. But then whatever else you do, seek to edify, seek to edify. Um, Confusion must be avoided. And in a church like ours, there's not much confusion. Uh, You just hope everyone's breathing heavy. Uh, But there's churches that are real rowdy, very rowdy, and you have to really maintain order. Uh, And, of course, the tongues was dominating this meeting, and he was trying to get order in the house. Uh, Anything that's distracting in a meeting, uh, we try to avoid. You know, one of our distractions through the years is uh, we've had an echo chamber for a building because we never soundproof the building, and no amount of technicians can control it. It's bouncing up. We brought in experts. The complaints will get real high. And I see different ones of you moving in the building. It's true because we have dead spots. We have spots here in the front. Tim and I barely hear anything. I said, make the guitars loud. I can't hear it. Others said, you're kidding. My wife. You're kidding. Guess what? It's a distraction. And as God supplies, we're going to try to soundproof this building to absorb the bouncing sound that no technician can control. It's distracting to our people. It's hard on you're hearing. We know that. It, that's a real technical distraction. It just costs a lot of money to correct. Uh, whatever's distracting. Um, that's why, guess what? We provide a nursery and a place for your children. I know they're darling, but they can distract and ruin our meetings. And that's why you turn your cell phone off and... I hope you get rid of all your iPod stuff and you're not figuring out your checkbook during the meeting. Just accept it. You're broke. (laughs) Um, Do things that strengthen. Whatever is the greatest gift. You know what? I must say this. I so often and most of my life, guess where I am in the church, right here. Because I'm usually the most gifted and most trained in the context. It's a heavy weight. I love to go to meetings where they don't even know I'm there because I'm not the attraction. But rather than someone getting up and fumbling around, that's why we don't have testimony services. We select them because we've seen testimony services where they're all talking about them, and it, it never edifies. It never builds up the body. It just draws people into themselves. So. Order in the house is we want the Word of God to dominate our meetings. We want our people to sing unto the Lord. And uh, even if we were all a tongue-talking church, some of you are from that background, God bless you. I am too. I love them. Thank God for it. But even so, I'd have to have this Word even govern me in a Pentecostal church. This is the instruction for us of what to put priority on, I want to say this. I didn't get to say it last week. I want to thank you, precious people, that you helped us on Easter, 140 cars parked down at the parking place. You relieved our parking lot, and I want to commend every one of you that helped us for doing that. Thanks so much. Really wonderful. I want to say this, that uh, we're in a new month, May, can God do for us in May what he did in April? Well, uh, in April, we told you that we needed 300,000. You gave 313. It met all obligations, all funds. Man, uh, God did it through you people. We, we want to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Uh, When we started the month, we were a nervous leadership team. And the first time I ever in my life ever watched Grant Pinkston cry so much, I had to go get Kleenex for him. (laughs) Really was. Because he's a giver, and he was so burdened that our church was this far down. And if he could write the check, he would. He would. I know that. And uh, as I looked over at him in our deacon elder prayer meeting and saw a big ex-Marine dripping I had to go get the Kleenex for him because he was asking God, meet our need. And he did. And he did. And I want to say something. We've had one offering in May. I I was rejoicing and wanting to dance, but I was nervous coming to May because I'm of great faith, you know. (laughs) So May 1st, we need $36,000 a week to meet our obligations. You saints gave 46,000 last week. So, uh, and I wanna say 10% of the non-givers in our church, 10% of the 1,000 people who give less than $250 a year to this church, 10% of them joined the giving circle in April, and there's 30% of us who gave the money. Thirty percent. Now, you that are in the 70% bracket, we're waiting for you to join us. You'll be more blessed than you've ever been. And uh, I'm ready to take an offering. Let's do it. Come on, brethren. And I just pray, keep, this is our our test Sunday because of the sense, when do most you get paid? The first and the 15th. So the in-between Sundays are usually big dip Sundays. But I just ask you, help us. Give us unto the Lord. Don't become weary in what, doing well. And uh, God is slaying the giving economic giant for us that we might promote him. Our Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to continually live by faith and to support the work of the cross through the church. I thank you for these precious, precious people who many gave beyond uh, their norm. Oh, I know they did in April. I wish I knew how to praise you better, Lord. I'm jealous that you get the glory. Uh, I just want to say again, we acknowledge that you heard our cry, that you heard the deacons and elders and the cry of your people, and you delivered us and did a great thing uh the leadership uh, as tim has written up the biography of it we are stunned at what you've done and we give you credit and glory i just pray father don't let us get there again give us the wisdom to manage and the wisdom uh to instruct your people give and you'll be blessed like you never dreamed and you'll be obedient to this god who gave everything bless this offering we pray